0: Good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. For you that don't know me, my name is Brent Amato, and I have the privilege of being an elder here and serving you. And I'm delighted to be before you. You're saying, Where's Craig? Well, let me tell you where Craig is. Craig is depositing his second daughter in Georgia to her, go to her first year of college. And so, now what that means for the Jarvis household is not only has Hannah now away, but Abby continues out in L.A. So they're a very, very tight family, and I would appreciate your prayers for them, not only for traveling mercies, but also um, the loss for a school year of uh, 50% of their kids. In your life, with regard to decisions, decisions, with regard to um, issues that are important to you, with regard to maybe a crisis or two. In your thinking and your feeling, have you ever been uncertain, undecided, hesitant, suspicious, unsettled, inclined to disbelief? Can you identify maybe with some of those things? All these words point to the challenge of uh, today's topic and something we all face, and that is doubt. Now, I'm going to give you a special opportunity. If there's anyone in this room who has never doubted, could you just please come forward and preach the rest of this sermon? (laughs) If, in fact, we doubt, we have a temptation sometimes of lowering our expectations of God. And that's where we're headed for today. Uh, Come back with me just to when I graduated from law school. You graduate from law school, and obviously, what's the next step? The next step is you need a, well, ah... After law school and after the bar, the next step is you need a job, okay? And so that was paramount on my particular mind right after graduating from law school, even before I passed the bar. And I want you to know what my prospects were. Think with me. I was thinking of how important a job is. You know, um, people are supposed to work, and and males are supposed to provide for their families, and uh, it's a big deal. Uh, You women may not understand this, but uh, much of a man's self-worth is wrapped up in their jobs, and so I'm thinking to myself, I need a job, I need a job for a variety of reasons, and uh, I need to provide for my family. So let's examine the prospects. As I thought about what was the next thing to happen, I said to myself, well, wait a minute. I do know that there's a glut on the market. There are just technically more graduates than there are jobs. That's not a good thing. Second, I went to a law school. Well, while it was a great law school, it was John Marshall, and I call it the Harvard of the Midwest because it let me in. That was important. But in terms of law schools, there are law schools and there are law schools, and some have given people a more advantaged position to get jobs. Didn't have that. And if that wasn't enough, I had a very unimpressive resume. I got average grades. I wasn't smart. I wasn't at the top level of my class. I did no extracurricular activities, got no honors. So I'm going to a a, a common school with no advantage. I have an unimpressive resume. But I didn't let that dissuade me. I said to myself, I might be able to do this. Notice I didn't say I could do it. I said, I might be able to do this. So I sent out resumes, that's what you do to get jobs. And I sent out 50 and I tried to target something that was reasonable. I didn't send resumes to these mega firms and these giant big law um, enterprises because they wouldn't be interested in me at all, I'm common folk. So I sent them to small firms. I sent out 50 resumes, 50, you figure, 50? That's got to result in something. So here were the results. 25 of the 50 never responded. The other 25 all responded exactly the same way. No. So I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to work out? Do you see how I might possibly be tempted to uh, doubt with regard to those results? Uh, Did God really call me to law school to practice law? It doesn't appear that it's going that particular way. How is this going to work out? Is God going to show up? Is he going to be faithful to his promises about something as basic as employment? Well I got a job. And that is another miraculous God ordained story that we don't have time for. But fast forward a little bit to Brent Amato as a middle-aged attorney. Surely established in his ways, going to play out his cards, and go riding off into the sunset after a glorious career as a lawyer. Middle-aged Brent lost his job. And once again, he was faced with the prospect of employment. And what were the prospects? Let me clue you in a little bit about the job market. If you're a 45-year-old individual, uh, you're not very marketable because anyone can find someone 20 years younger and pay you half the price. That's the deal. And if that wasn't enough, I said to myself, not only am I uh, someone who is middle-aged and probably not marketable, but uh, I found myself in 10 months of unemployment. Do you not think with me what was going through my particular mind after month one, month two, month three. Can you imagine what was going through Sherry's mind after month one, month two, month three? And so there was a temptation again to doubt and to maybe lower my expectations of God. Is he going to work this out really? Oh, I have a theology that he is, but is he really going to do this? It's a lot to overcome isn't it and I'm thinking you all of you have things in your life that maybe even right now you're wondering I wonder how this is going to play out I mean if you're really honest you don't want to share them with anyone but in your heart of hearts you're thinking to yourself God are you there God what's going on here and so the topic of this morning is overcoming low expectations of God. Have you ever had a conversation or a dialogue or a relationship with another believer that is just so discouraged by the events that they're facing that anything you say, anything you do, any verse you try to give them doesn't seem to have any effect? They are so beaten up by life that they're wondering and their faith has become maybe nothing more than a flicker, maybe almost to be extinguished. I bet you all of you know at least one person like that. I bet you some of you in times are like that. That's where we're going today. So consider our current sermon series. We've been marching through Genesis. We do Abraham, and uh, then we do Isaac, and uh, then we do uh, Jacob, and now we're doing Joseph. And uh, there are two big issues in the text for today, Genesis 46 and 47. And you're going to have trouble identifying with them because you've never experienced them. But the point is, if certain people overcame these circumstances, then maybe your circumstances could be overcome as well. You with me? So what would happen if, in fact, you were told that you had to relocate your entire family to a foreign country? That's not happened to any of you. And yet that happened to the characters in this particular story. And what type of country Uh, Are we relocating to Maui? Uh, Are we relocating to the Swiss Alps? No, we're relocating to a country that is a hostile country. And it's a hostile country that has no place for your God. Are you with me? No place for your God. Not only is there no place for your God, he has no authority in this particular country. That's issue number one. Issue number two is... What would you be thinking and feeling if you were told that you were going to face a severe famine and it was quite possible that you'd die? And not only you die, but your family. Now, who here has ever faced a severe famine? No, not me. I complain I'm hungry all the time because I'm Italian. But think about that. If you were told you were going to face a severe famine and you might die, Is it possible that there may be some doubt? Is there possible that you might have trouble overcoming that particular doubt that might lower your expectations of God? What would you be wondering? What would you be doubting? Would you be frightened? Was it gonna turn out okay? Was God gonna show up? Now let me take a moment and back off of that just to suggest something we need to remember. You members of Village Church of Bartlett you have ascribed to a mission and that mission is really simple it's just got three key words and since I've taught the membership class I remember them but the first one is go right you members I'm looking at some of the newer members that just went to the class who have a tremendous retention span and the second is grow but what is the third word of our mission statement? Overcome. So when I'm talking to you about Genesis 46 and 47, that's fine. But this is realized stuff now for you who call yourself members. We need to be serious about this. We need to be overcomers. So again, we've been talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph And uh, let me give you some background before we get into the text. And we're not going to read all the text, but we're going to read some of it. First of all, come with me back to Genesis 15. Remember, the first person of this lineage was Abraham. Genesis 15, 12 through 15. Abraham and God's promises to him. Remember, God's promises are going to help you overcome. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. You see that word certain? Know for maybe some speculation. Know for possibly happening. Know for certain that your offsprings will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Can you imagine that? But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then fast forward to Genesis 45, which was the text for last week's sermon, and let's focus on Jacob. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. These are the brothers, and we know all about those brothers, and they've had a sordid history, have they not? But these brothers are coming back to Jacob, and they're going to tell their father Jacob some startling news. Joseph is still alive, they had told him otherwise, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb, and get this phrase, for he did not believe them. Doubt. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he has said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, carry him to Egypt, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Jacob is old. Jacob has lived a long life. Jacob has heard and lived through some horrific circumstances. And he is one impaired individual. He's just like the rest of us. We aren't perfect and we are impaired. We are handicapped. We are disadvantaged in certain ways. We are weak in certain ways. He's no different than us from time to time. He's hurt. I believe he's losing heart still. He's growing cold to the promises of God And this is why scripture in both the Old and New Testament say an amazing thing. God talks to this person. God talks to that person. And he introduces himself as if he needs to be introduced. God, Jehovah, needs to be introduced. But he says the same thing time and time again. Over 20 times in scripture. Now think. If something that is important is repeated, and it's repeated 20 times, we need to get it. And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, the person who is the focus on this particular passage. So, with that as background, let's get to the text and see what's going on in 46 and 47. And ask yourself this: What I'm doubting now, am I prepared to change? Am I prepared to deal with? I can't project on you what your doubts are, but let me be so bold and dogmatic to say that you got them because you're just like me. And then second, as we dive into the text, will you find this text profitable to you? Will this be just an intellectual exercise? Yep, checked off Genesis 45 and 46 and 47. Let's move on to the next passage. Or will it change your life? That's the goal of the gospel. That's the goal of scripture, to change your life. Let's look at some of the text. Genesis 46, 1 through 5. So Israel, and and for you that might be a little bit confused, we're talking about Jacob here, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac and God spoke to Israel in visions of night and said, Jacob, Jacob. I do believe that sometimes God yells and so permit me to interpret scripture that particular way. You know, can you imagine God, the God of the whole universe saying, hey, Jacob, Uh uh-uh, no. Hey, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Remember those three words. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. There that is. There that, 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 that statement, that description again. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob Set out for Beersheba. Look at verse 1. What is Jacob doing? I said he's old, impaired, growing cold to God's promises, uh, maybe losing some hope, but he's doing something very important. He's offering sacrifices. In the Old Testament vernacular, that is his devotional life. You call it quiet time. I don't care what you call it, but hopefully you have it. And he was in a posture that I think made him ready to encounter God in a more significant way than less. Do you realize how important your devotional life is? You say, well, Pastor Craig tells me I need a quiet time, so I guess I'll have one and I'll check it off every day. But you realize the significance of it that prepares you more to encounter God when you may be doubting, when you may need to overcome. Verse 2, it says, And God spoke to Jacob. God intervenes. He could just be up here doing his thing and just letting us to our own devices, and yet he chooses, as he did sending Jesus Christ, to intervene in an intimate, personal way. There is nothing more intimate and personal than the way he encountered Jacob. Think with me about Thomas. What is he known for? He's called Thomas the Doubter. And so isn't it instructive to check out what The word says about Thomas, after the resurrection, he missed that encounter, but he was later with the disciples in the room, and what happened? And Jesus came to the room, and it doesn't say that he chatted with Thaddeus, and he chatted with uh, Matthew, and he chatted with John. It specifically says he encountered Thomas. And he encountered Thomas, because Thomas says, you know lest I see the holes in his hands. I'm sorry. Doubt is ruling my day. And God here to Jacob says, Jacob, Jacob! Do you ever wonder why God repeats himself? Wouldn't it have been enough just to say, Jacob? I mean, he is Jehovah, right? Well, you parents who have kids like me, Have you ever had to say to one of your children when you were trying to communicate something important, their name more than once? Jason, 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 Jason. I can't tell you how many times I repeated his name. High maintenance. I love him dearly, but high maintenance. Kristen, low maintenance, but maybe every once in a while, Kristen, Kristen. So I think God is telling us in this word that's described that repetition sometimes is necessary. I believe God wanted to make sure he was heard. Is it possible that sometimes God has said something to you and you just haven't heard it? The noise of the day, the clutter in your mind, the doubt prevents us from hearing. And and you know, sometimes you may hear God and you may not pay attention to it, right? You're just like me. So by repeating it, he not only tried to make sure he was listening, Jacob was, but second of all, that he was paying attention. And then what does Jacob say? Those three words, here I am. I'm mindful of Isaiah. It says in the book of Isaiah that uh, Isaiah came into a bad, scary time of his life. You don't get that from the text, but if you study the scripture, it's true. It says in the, death, in the year of the death of King Uzziah. And that was, that was a good relationship. And now Isaiah wondering in his hostile environment, what's going to play out without King Uzziah? And in that particular case, God reached down to him and he said, here I am as well. Those words, here I am, say this. First of all, they say, um, I'm recognizing and I'm acknowledging your presence. Did you do that this morning? Oh, I'm going to church. But do you start your day by recognizing and acknowledging God's presence? Second, those words, here I am, say, I'm ready for what you got for me i'm ready to respond obediently did you start your day ready to respond obediently to whatever you heard from god these are keys to overcoming that i need to learn that you need to learn and 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 then take a look also in that verse He's set now for overcoming. There's a miraculous change going on in Jacob that only can be evoked by God. That change is he's starting to believe again. He's saying, you know, God, I can now see maybe that you've not abandoned me totally. Let's explore this a little bit more. So verse 3, Jacob's got doubt about relocating in Egypt. How do I know that? Look what God says. God says, uh, "I'm your father. Don't be afraid. I'm repeating my promise to you about a great nation. Listen to those things. The family reminder: I'm, 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 I'm a father to Abraham and Isaac. You uh, don't be afraid. That's an antidote to do- to doubt. And the promise repeated: You'll be a great nation. All that is directed at doubt, which is not referenced in the passage, but implied. God is intervening. So why should Jacob have doubt about?" going back to Egypt well first of all he's heard stories about his grandfather Abraham and Abraham had some experiences in Egypt and they didn't go that well bad stuff happened so if I'm Jacob I'm saying I'm not sure I want to experience what my grandpa experienced Uh, why would I go back but even more direct to the point do you realize that earlier in Scripture God said to Jacob don't go to Egypt Would you have doubt if God said go to Egypt after he said don't go to Egypt? Of course you would. So doubt is permeating this passage and I want you to see that God is committed to getting him to overcome it. Verse 4, God's presence is reassured. I will go down with you to Egypt. Do you recall Moses' dialogue with God, What, what did God want Moses to do? Go back to Egypt and Moses says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've been kicked out, got enemies. And quite frankly, there's got to be a better person for this. Does that sound like doubt or confidence? That sounds like doubt. And God says, I'm going to be your mouthpiece. That's even more personal than I'm going to go with you. But that's what he says here. So do we see that it's so important to understand God's presence? More comfort and encouragement. He connects Jacob with Joseph as to his death. God's promise that they would somehow end up in Canaan, the Promised land, is not going to be undermined. That's the antidote for doubt. That is the spurring on to higher expectations of God. And in verse 5, Jacob's response. It says that he set out. Now, hear me clearly. You are just like me. We have great intentions sometimes. We come away from a powerful sermon and we are inspired and we have an enthusiasm and yet somehow we just never get off our duffs and move out for God. Oh, we acknowledge what he's called us to do but we don't set out. The word says that Jacob set out. That is a high threshold for some of us. Good intentions, Don't get you where you need to be with regard to God. In Genesis 46, 28 through 34, Jacob and Joseph are reunited. Uh, Let's look at some pictures here. Genesis 46. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I've seen your face and know you are still alive. Now, first of all, where were they settling in Goshen? You just need to know factually, historically, that was a very, very good place. Joseph is still protecting his family. Second, the reunion has an intimacy and an emotional content that is very, very rare. Who's taking the initiative with regard to this reunion? Is it Jacob or Joseph? It is Joseph. Joseph is in this story to help Jacob overcome. Do you have people in your lives that are helping you overcome? And notice the description of the emotion. Fell on his neck. Joseph fell on his neck, his father's neck, and wept on his neck a good while. Have you ever had that type of of, of moment when you have been broken beyond measure and tears are just flowing and you grab the person and your head falls upon their neck? I'm hoping you've experienced that. You see, that's showing a characteristic of Joseph that makes him an overcomer. Joseph was tender-hearted on your tender-hearted scale from totally cold, passionless and having no emotion to being soft and tender, willing to weep, where do you find yourself? As you allow God to move you closer to tender-heartedness, you will be more of an overcomer. That's the principle. Verse 30, Jacob's fulfilled. Jacob starts believing again. He says, "You know what, God? I think I can see you. So Genesis 47 going on 1 through 12. Jacob's family settling in Egypt. And Joseph's intervening with the Pharaoh, really helping his family out. But here's what I'm thinking if I'm Jacob. Put yourself in Jacob's shoes. He's, he, he's settling. But is the doubt gone? I don't think so. And here's why. Now, here's what Jacob might be thinking. Well, let's see. I'm going to leave my home and go to Egypt. But what if I don't ever get back home? And maybe my sons and I, we won't prosper in Egypt. Oh, wait a minute, we're supposed to get food there. But what if Pharaoh won't give us food? What if he kills us as invaders, foreigners, and whatnot? Why would he say that? Well, you would have to read Genesis forty-seven, forty-seven for this. And you know what it says? Who needs to know this fact? Did you know the Egyptians hate shepherds? It says it in scripture. So if you knew that Egyptians hated shepherds, is it going to work out? I don't know. What if the most powerful man in the world is Egyptian and you find yourself in that country? He doesn't like you. Well, in any event, uh, I and my sons and their families may die in Egypt. Uh, uh, Our families may die in Egypt, uh, not the promised land. And what about Joseph? Oh yeah, I've seen this uh, this guy come alive that I thought was dead and, and he loves me and he weeps upon me but he has been under the influence of Pharaoh for so long. Is it possible for him to be totally sympathetic to me over the long haul? Will this work out? Will he stay true to me? He's been a leader in a foreign hostile nation. Do you hear all this stuff that's percolating maybe still in Jacob? How can the promises come true? Genesis 47, 27 through 31. Jacob and his family in Egypt during the famine and Jacob's encounter with Joseph. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Remember the promises. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in their burying place. And Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And Jacob said, Swear to me! And Joseph swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Notice who's getting blessed in Egypt. It's the Israelites. It's not the Egyptians. Another place in scripture, the Egyptians say, you've saved our lives. Imagine that, saying that to Jews. There's always a portrayal of blessing in Genesis that is linked to possessions, and fruitfulness and multiplication and here you see it again Jacob appeals to Joseph Joseph responds with his oath and Jacob continues to be restored from doubt and low expectations to confidence and higher expectations well there's the text so remember the question I asked you the question always needs to be asked is scripture profitable 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says it's all inspired by God. It is all profitable. And then it goes on, in case we don't get it, to tell you four reasons why it's profitable. If, in fact, you want to know what's right, Scripture teaches it. If, in fact, you want to know what's wrong, Scripture teaches it. If, in fact, you want to know how to correct something that might not be true to Scripture or God's unchanging nature, Scripture teaches it. And then finally, it'd be nice if I could maintain that for the end of my days. Scripture teaches that. All for the purpose that you might be fully equipped for good work. That's what Scripture says. So either you believe that or you don't. I can't answer that question for you, but that's why Craig and other pastors say, so what? Is there something that's going to come from this That's going to align you with God's expectations for you. Here's the challenge. Sometimes we don't expect God to come through. Lowered expectations. Our hearts and our minds are easily manipulated sometimes and conformed to the world and attacked by the enemy, Satan and his evil forces that lower expectations. And sometimes for me, I would never project this on you, but for sometimes for me, there's a perfect storm going on. What's the perfect storm? First of all, someone says to me, Hey, Jesus is coming back. And my thought is, but is he here today? When will this occur? How long will it be? Well, there's going to be a new kingdom. Well, is it here now? When will it be? And so sometimes the distance in time between the promise and the fulfillment makes me doubt that's one piece of the perfect storm the second piece of the perfect storm is life happens circumstances are complicating things and that brings doubt as well and if those two weren't enough and now I'm gonna meddle so wake up for this one I'm gonna meddle the third part of the perfect storm has nothing to do with time fulfillment has nothing to do with circumstances and it has everything to do with you. So listen closely. The third part of the perfect storm that leads to doubt and lower expectations is a knowingly disobedient life. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with. But to the extent you are knowingly disobedient, doubt will follow on its heels as certain as you are breathing. So know how difficult this is, the perfect storm. So what? Number one? God is unchanging. Trust him. I love James 1:17. "Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you hear that? No variation. God never changes. He will always be faithful. Trust Him. Number two, God's word is true. Respect it and trust it. Found in Jesus' high priestly prayer to God that is recorded forever in scripture, Jesus says some remarkable things. And one of the things he says is so simple and so profound, and yet I wonder if I get it. It says, your word is truth. Scripture says that his word never returns void. There are a number of promises that are fulfilled in 46 and 47 if you keep track. Let's work through them just real quickly. Genesis 15 is fulfilled by bringing Jacob and his family to Egypt. God promises a famine. It occurs. Its severity comes to life here and we see that. And there are also some promises that haven't been fulfilled in 46 and 47 but are later in Scripture and you can check them out. God promises to bring Jacob back and that Joseph would bury him. Chapter 46 opens with that and it ends with that. They never make the prosperity of Egypt a distraction to God. Sometimes when things are going really well, I find myself tempted to be distracted from God and focus on myself and my circumstances. No matter how prosperous it was in Egypt, I'm mindful that Jacob and Joseph never lost their focus. Here's their mantra. Get me back to the promised land. They're doing better than the Egyptians and they say, get me back to the promised land. And so this text was written for them and written for us to know that the promises of God are trustworthy. Number three. And now we're asked to do something. It's nice to acknowledge that God is unchanging. It is nice to acknowledge that his word is true. But here's where it gets tough. We need to be on task. Listen to these words from Peter. Peter was sending this letter to people that were suffering way beyond anything that you are experiencing. And look what he says to them. Therefore, because you're in these circumstances... Therefore, now I want you to see the confidence and the stability and the certainty in these words. Preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I know what some of you are thinking. How do you do this? How do you possibly do this? These are great words, Brent, but quite frankly, I'm mired in despair and doubt. I'm feeling futile. All my efforts are in vain. And quite frankly, I don't see the reality of God. How do you do this? First of all, two things. First, be mindful, be aware, and beware of what Scripture says about doubt and lower expectations. Romans 15.4 has a wonderful passage that I need to remember about all of Scripture. Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in earlier times, and by the way, was Genesis written before Romans? See, this is called audience of participation. I love it. Let me try that again. Was Genesis written before Romans? Ah, you're with me. Thank you. Just think. What does it say? It says, I'll find it here for whatever was written in earlier times, was written for whose instruction? That through what? And through what? Of what? You might have what? Is that what a person needs who has doubt and is trying to overcome low expectations? See, the antidote for low expectations is... And, and, and God, and doubt as always, um, the word and to be aware and beware. And is this affirmed in scripture, I want to share with you one of the most sobering verses in scripture and it's in the Old Testament and you may never have read it or if you've read it, you've forgotten it like I had. It's found in Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy, Moses is talking about, here's the deal, you're going to choose, you're going to choose life or you're going to choose death and if I could just simplify it we Italians love simple things so I'm going to take a whole bunch of text and reduce it to just two real simple things Moses says you choose obedience blessing you choose disobedience curse that's it are you ready obedience leads to what curse leads to no obedience disobedience leads to I'm just testing you No, I'm hopelessly confused. So listen to this text here. This is in Deuteronomy 28. And it's in the context of disobedience. He said, if you disobey, these things are going to happen. And then we come across these verses. But this is what's going to happen. The Lord will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and languishing soul. Your life shall hang in what? Doubt. Before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. Wow! That's our topic for today. And you're seeing that disobedience leads to anguish, dread, no assurance. Well, I'm not an Old Testament guy, you know, I'm a New Testament guy. So let's just take a look in the New Testament and examine the lives of the disciples with Jesus, his ministry on earth. And there are passages after passages where Jesus is encouraging them, rebuking them, teaching them, rolling his eyes with them. And the message is this, why are you doubting? How could you possibly doubt? You're walking with me, I am God in the flesh. And you're doubting, how can that be? And I'm thinking Jesus is rolling his eyes. And I'm thinking Jesus is going, And the most poignant position that they found themselves in was after the resurrection. Oh, sure, Thomas had his doubt. Mary Magdalene came to them and said, Well, I found the empty tomb. And it says, they didn't believe. Isn't that incredible? But come with me to the mountain where Jesus says, You meet me. I'm risen, and you meet me on this mountain. And I've got some more good words for you. So take a look at Matthew 28 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He's resurrected. He told them to go to the mountain. He shows up, and notice this, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but what else did they do? Doubted. You see, be aware and beware of what Scripture shows is the potential of all of us. It was true of the disciples. It was true of the Jews. Second, be aware and be aware of what I call the slippery slope of low expectations and doubt. Here's how it works. You know what a slippery slope is? You start at the top, but then you start to slide. And what does slippery mean? You're continuing down. Okay? And here's what happens to a believer like me. It starts out with just a foothold. Now, do you guys know what a foothold is? A foothold is defined as something that is a secure position that it's difficult to dislodge, and it could be both positive and negative. Positively, when the Allied troops wanted to take over Europe and get it back from the Third Reich, they needed beachheads, okay? Beachheads on Normandy, that's a positive foothold. But there are negative footholds, and that's spiritual warfare. And you don't want Satan and his powers to get a beachhead or a foothold. What was Satan trying to accomplish in the Garden of Eden? What was his question as a serpent to Eve? Has God really said? And see, it's not the whole enchilada. He just wants an entree that led to the fall, but he got it. Well where do footholds lead? They lead to fear. And where does fear lead? Fear leads to being frozen. Have you ever met a person that's just paralyzed, too afraid to act? You know you say, you need to do this! Be on task! And you can't get them off the snide. You can't get them moving forward. Footholds lead to fear. Fear leads to being frozen. And the most depressing, dismayed position we can find ourselves on the slippery slope of low expectations and doubt is forsaken. We just come to the conclusion, God, I'm sorry, I don't see you. Have you ever been any place on the slippery slope? It's to be avoided. (sighs) Stay on task. Uh, Everyone has different devotional books they use. And so here I am this morning looking at my devotional book. I've chosen Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. Some of you have probably heard of that. And God said, look at the title of this devotional book. This is this morning. And what are those words? My Utmost for His Highest. I've just discovered my motto for the mission of overcoming. My Utmost, staying on task for God's highest glory. Now, permit me to help us with that together. Let's say that together. The title of this devotional is My Utmost for His Highest. So when you're thinking about so what's, that's only five words. Number four, identify and confess your doubts. (sighs) Psalm 139 says, examine me, try my thoughts, examine my heart, show me harmful ways in me. Who did that this morning? Rhetorical question. But would that not be profitable for us on a daily basis before we get to our very important agendas? To pray that, examine me, show me harmful ways in me, put your finger on my doubt. Put your finger on low expectations of me. And then five, finally, deal with your doubts. Spiritual confidence is the order of the day. Rather than asking what if, why not ask, who am I willing to trust? Developing a faith that leads to belief, that takes effort. Deal with your doubts. Allow yourself to enter the presence of God. What a wonderful, wonderful privilege. We're having the privilege now because of what Jesus did on the cross to enter his throne room of grace. And look at Hebrews ten nineteen through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us, let us draw near with a true heart in, in what? Full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast. Does that sound like doubt? The confession of our hope, the antidote to doubt, without wavering, does that sound like doubt? For he who promised is faithful. Friends, family, brethren, cling to hope. It is what God calls himself. He calls himself the God of hope. Anticipate blessing. Anticipate reward. This is the gospel. Changed lives. Moving from doubt and low expectation... To full assurance and God's highest goals for you. Uh, final word about bones. You want to hear about bones? I want to talk to you about bones. Give me one more minute. Joseph said to some other people would you please get me buried in the promised land and the brothers vowed when they left they would take care of that and considering his past I would be doubting that I mean think about their character what they did to their dad and other things they were just bad people sometimes would they honor that particular promise how were they going to do it and did they do it and the answer is they did and this is so encouraging to me Let's fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Joshua. What's happened? Egyptian slavery, deliverance from Egypt, conquering of the promised land, dividing up among the tribes. These tribes were the brothers' descendants. And these bones. What are we going to do with Joseph's bones? Um, Well, let's see. uh, uh, We could leave them in Egypt. No, 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 wait a minute. We've just escaped from Egypt. Uh, Well, we leave him in Egypt, maybe the pharaoh might forget how gracious he was to Jacob and his family and Joseph. Um, What's going to happen? God gave them an incredible solution. He infused in them the confidence and assurance for them to do a very radical thing. And you know what they did? They carried Joseph's bones for 40 years. Just stop. Are you kidding me? They carried Joseph's bones for 40 years. And you say, you weren't there. How do you know that? Let's check scripture out. Joshua 24, way after the time that we were studying. And as for the bones of Joseph, hey, there they are. Which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt. Wow, they did honor his request. They buried them in Shechem in a piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Shechem is in the promised land. They carried these bones for 40 years. What motivated them to do that? I never would have done that. It must have been they believed in the sanctity of God's word and they honored and respected God and the wishes of their brother, That's Jacob and Joseph's story, overcoming doubt and lower expectations. It's God's story. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have given us all that we need to honestly address our doubts and our fears and our expectations of you that are lower than they should be. First of all, forgive us. Help us to confess them. Second of all, help us to deal with them and stay on task.